All right, we're going to be talking about communication this weekend, and as we do so, I want to start by telling you a kind of a sad story uh, as we get going here. Um, first of all, there was this couple, husband and wife, that decided to meet up after work for dinner. She was really looking forward to the opportunity to catch up on life and uh, also just to kind of talk about their relationship and just enjoy her, her husband. But the night ended up being very disappointing. Not only disappointing, but she left with great concern. And we know that because when she filled in her journal that evening, these are the words that she wrote. Tonight, my husband was acting weird. We had made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. Conversation wasn't flowing, so I suggested that we go somewhere quiet so we could talk. He agreed, but he didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I asked him if it was my fault that he was upset. He said he wasn't upset, that it had nothing to do with me, not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him that I loved him. He smiled slightly and kept driving. When we got home, he just sat there quietly and watched TV. He continued to seem distant and absent. Finally, with silence all around us, I decided to go to bed. About 15 minutes later, he came to bed. But I still felt that he was distracted. And his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep. I don't know what to do. Now, her husband also filled out a journal. And that night, he put in his journal, rough day, boat wouldn't start, can't figure out why. Men and women, you guys are slow. (laughs) Men and women, they think and operate very differently, don't they? We have a different wiring system. Here's this poor woman all distraught that something horrible is going on in the marriage and in the relationship. And the only thing that's bothering the guy is, why won't my stinking boat start? And that's hard for, you know, that, that's hard for a, a woman to understand how a guy thinks. It's hard for a guy to understand how a woman thinks. And nowhere does that become more challenging than in the area of communication. What does it take for a husband and a wife, a family, or even friends, to be able to communicate and actually communicate what they're feeling and then understand what that person is saying to them? Well, there's a book that's been written by Mark Driscoll, who's the pastor of Marshall Church in Seattle, Washington. He and his wife, Grace, wrote a book called Real, R-E-A-L, Real Marriage. And in that book, they suggest that the key to a healthy marriage, to good communication, is developing a great friendship. There are a lot of books and there are a lot of seminars that you can attend and take out there that will talk to you about practical things like communication. But there are very few books that are written out there 
on what it means to be friends in a marriage relationship. So what we're going to do is we're going to borrow from the Driscolls their acronym for friendship. And I want us to think about how we can deepen our friendships in our marriages. Because if we'll learn to really be friends in our marriage, we're going to then learn how to communicate. Communication will come much more naturally for us. If we can learn what it means to be friends with our families and our kids and our parents, we're going to have better communication. If we can learn what it means to be friends just with our peers and with our friends, it's going to revolutionize and change our lives. So this weekend, whether you're here at Hobson or at 111, I'm going to ask every one of you, single or married, parent, child, doesn't matter, but especially those of you who are married, I'm going to ask you to commit yourself to becoming a great friend, all right? And putting these principles into practice. It doesn't matter what your spouse is going to do. It doesn't matter what the kids are going to do, what the parents are going to do, what your peers are going to do. I want to ask you to consider when we're finished committing to really being a true friend. So here, here's the acronym. We're going to start with the letter F for friends. And that stands for fruitful. A good friend is a fruitful friend. A good friend is a friend who inspires me to be fruitful. And friendship in marriage equals fruitfulness. Now, if I were to ask you why you married the person you did or why you're going to marry the person you might marry someday, What I'm likely to hear from you is what I've heard from so many couples, whether it's been in premarital counseling or what I used to do marital counseling. The response I would get is, well, I'm going to marry him because he makes me feel so good. Or I married her because she makes me laugh. Or I married him because he's just so easy to talk to. Or I married her because she's so beautiful. And all those things are helpful and all those things are nice and all those things are true. But Boy, your marriage has to go way beyond that. You've got to understand what the real purpose of marriage is. And here it is. And we rarely ever think this way. The purpose of marriage is to glorify God. The purpose of marriage, the purpose of your marriage is to glorify God. Just like the purpose of your life is to glorify God. If you're here and you're single, the purpose of your life is to glorify God. So think about this. You take two individuals, two singles. Each one has the purpose of glorifying God with their lives. That is, living their lives out for God's purpose. And you put those two together. Wow, what a combination when you get two people combined together in oneness. A husband and wife saying, not only will I live my life purposely for God, but we are going to live our lives purposely for God and bear fruit for God. C.H. Spurgeon was a preacher who lived long ago in England and in one of his love letters, and they wrote love letters kind of differently back then, all right, he uh, said some things to his wife and I just want to read an excerpt of what he said. He said to her, none know how grateful I am to God for you. In all I have ever done for him, you have a large share For in making me so happy, you have fitted me for service. 
Not an ounce of power has ever been lost to the good cause through you. I have served the Lord far more and never less for your sweet companionship. Do you hear what Spurgeon is saying? He's saying, my ministry, my ministry would be lacking if it wasn't for your companionship. The ministry that we have in London would be lacking if it wasn't for your, your companionship to me. And you know what? I can honestly tell you right now, I would not be here this weekend if it wasn't for my wife, Marcia, and how she has inspired me to be fruitful. Her faith, her prayers, her unswerving devotion to God's word, her willingness sometimes to confront me when I've been ornery, her holding steadfast maybe when I wanted to do something that perhaps was not as pleasing to God, her belief and confidence that God called me and God had a purpose for my life and our marriage together, Oh my goodness, I wouldn't be here this weekend if it was not for her helping me to produce the fruit that God wants through my life and through our ministry together. Can you say that about your spouse? Do you guys talk about what purpose God has for your marriage? Do you guys think about your marriage as existing to glorify God? Do you as a husband think to yourself, how can I help my wife use her gifts to bear fruit for God? Do you as a wife think about, how can I help my husband? Uh, How can I inspire him and encourage him to use his gifts to bear fruit for God? Do you ever have those conversations? Rarely, rarely do we. And have you ever together gotten together and just said, you know, what does God want to do with our lives? And when Marcia and I were younger, kind of, our lives were kind of uh, a little bit more separated. I was doing the ministry. She was doing a lot with the kids. And as we've gotten older now and have an empty nest, it's kind of fun because it's like we've come back together again and said, okay, now, you know, now we don't have those responsibilities. What is it God's calling us to do together? And we're kind of discovering that at this stage in our life. Some of you who are empty nesters, have you thought about that? And what does God have for us together? It's, it's a lot more than just, you know, getting an RV and touring the nation. All right? What is God's purpose for your life, for your relationship? Okay? Fruitfulness. All right? R. R stands for reciprocal. All right? The give and the take in a marriage relationship. The willingness to serve one another in a marriage relationship. I can't begin to tell you how important that is. You know, so oftentimes, especially in our culture today, people tend to run their relationships by their feelings. All right? And so we talk about falling in love, which is like, you know, I had these feelings for this person and I fall in love with them. All right. And then we also talk in our culture about falling out of love. I've lost my feelings for him. I've lost my feelings for her. I remember early on in my ministry, I had a a, a lady come to me once, a, a wife come to me and say, you know, I think I've lost my feelings for my husband. I'm not sure he was the right one. And, and perhaps there's somebody else out there. Is it okay for me to leave him? And I said, sure, go ahead. Absolutely not. I didn't say that. I said, what are you thinking? Marriage is not about our feelings. My goodness, if our marriage and our relationship is going to be about our feelings, how many times will we be married and divorced? How many people we spend our lives with, right? Our feelings come and go. They cannot be trusted. Marriage is about the will. Love is more about the will than love is about feelings. 
I choose to love my spouse. I like what Mark Driscoll wrote. He said, we do not follow our hearts, but guard our hearts. Love is not a feeling that promotes action, but an act of obedience to God that results in a feeling for our spouses. In other words, I don't love my wife, Marcia, because I always had the feelings there for her. Because sometimes, all right, she's hard to love because she's not perfect. And I can tell you this, sometimes I'm hard to love. It's usually me more so, all right, because I certainly am not perfect. But we don't stop loving each other. We choose in those moments to love each other. You know, it's easy to love someone when they love you back, isn't it? I mean, that's reciprocating, right? I love you, you love me, you do for me, I do for you. But what happens when, when that partner is kind of ugly emotionally? What happens when you do for them and they don't do anything for you, they hold back? I mean, that, that messes with your feelings, doesn't it? And the tendency is to say, well, if you're going to do that to me, watch out, sister. I'll tell you what I can do. I'll show you. You think you can be mad and angry and stubborn? I'll show you what stubborn is, right? We, and, and now we're kids in the sandbox, right? See, the, what separates the, what's supposed to separate the Christian marriage from all other marriages is when my spouse is misbehaving, all right? I still choose to love my spouse. I still choose to behave responsibly and in a Christ-like loving way. Where do I get the confidence and security to do that? As a believer, I get it from knowing how my father feels about me. I get it from knowing that God always loves me. And that God loved me when I was ornery, when I was in sin, right? He chose me. He loved me. Just think about some of these verses from the Bible. Romans 5, 5. This hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. See, as a believer, I, I not only know that God loves me, but I have a supernatural capacity to love because the love of God indwells me through the power of his Holy Spirit. And that's what you got to call upon in your family relationships, in your friendships as well, but especially in marriage. That's what will make us different from the world. When our, when our spouse is being carnal, we, we draw from the power of the Holy Spirit in us to be able to love them. Go on, and there's another passage of Scripture where Paul says in Galatians 5, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love, this is God's love, is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Man, some of you guys are accountants, right? You can remember something was done to you, you know, 30 years ago, and the date and the time it happened, and you're still bringing it up. Verse 6, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Now, this is supernatural love. This is God's love. But it's been planted in your heart, and you've got to draw from it and then share it with your spouse, even when they are being unloving or unlovely. Everybody do this to me. Everybody take a deep breath. Ready? 
Now exhale. That's what you got to do with love. You took the breath out. You took the oxygen out of the air, took it in, and then you exhaled. You need to inhale God's love and exhale God's love on your spouse, on your loved one. So if I were to ask you right now how you're doing with that, how would you rate yourself? Are you loving your spouse with the love of God right now? That is so very important. All right? Next, we have fruitfulness. We have uh, being reciprocal. Now, let's talk about being intimate with our love. And as soon as I say intimate, we always sexualize intimacy. And I'm not talking about the sexual aspect of intimacy here. All right? Intimacy goes far, far beyond that. Now, in marriage... There are three kinds of relationships that can exist. You can have with your spouse a back-to-back relationship where your backs are standing against each other. And what that represents is that you're both living your own separate lives. I hope your marriage isn't a back-to-back marriage right now. And then there are marriages which are more shoulder-to-shoulder kind of task-oriented marriages where you go about marriage as and, and the responsibilities as a couple or as a family as a bunch of tasks. You do business together. You take care of the kids together. You go to PTA meetings together. You go to church together. You serve together. It's, it's shoulder to shoulder. We're, we're doing this task together. And then there's, then there's face-to-face. Face-to-face describes vulnerability, connection, intimacy, communication, unashamedness, a a capacity to look into each other's lives. Which kind describes you? The back-to-back, the shoulder-to-shoulder, or the face-to-face? Now, let's talk a little bit about this, all right? Guys, gals, listen in. You single ladies who think you might be married someday, listen in. Guys guys are, are raised to do life shoulder to shoulder. You look at a football team, how do they line up? Shoulder to shoulder, all right? How do we play? Shoulder to shoulder. How do we do our jobs? Shoulder to shoulder. That's how we've been raised to do life. So if you want to connect with your husband, if you want to get him to be more intimate with you, and I'm not talking about sex now, all right? You just want that connectedness with him. Then learn to spend time with him in a shoulder to shoulder kind of way. In other words, be with him in his task, in the things he likes to do. I love to fish. haven't fished for a long time. I love the deep sea fish. And when we lived on the West Coast, I was invited by a friend to go fishing up off uh, British Columbia. One of the best trips I've ever had. I, I told my, that to my wife a while back. I got in real big trouble, all right? I had to qualify that man trip, all right, that I've ever had. I had a great time out there, you know, catching salmon. It was on a floating lodge. I mean, I could never afford it. Fortunately, his company, you know, gave him a free trip and said he could take anybody he wanted. His kids didn't want to go. What's wrong with that, huh? And he took me, all right? I had a great time, and I came back, and, and I kept saying to my wife, Marsha, I said, oh, you would love it. It would be so awesome. We ought to go, and, you know, maybe we can't afford to do that. Maybe we could save our pennies, but we ought to go. It would be so much to, uh, fun to be with you. And, and she kept saying to me, but I'd be so bored. She goes, maybe you could let me off on the shore. I could go exploring. I said, well, the bears would eat you. All right? I want you to be with me while I'm fishing. And see, what, she was, what she's not getting is that would mean a lot to me. That, to me, that would be intimate. 
to have my wife with me enjoying something that I absolutely love. That would create conversation. That's where I would open up. Now, in all fairness, all right, let's talk about women for the most part. And, and, and you know, I know there are exceptions to both sides of this, right? But generally speaking, women don't prefer shoulder to shoulder. Women prefer face to face, generally speaking. They want the, they, their, their idea of intimacy is let's get right to conversation. Let's get right to sharing our feelings. Let's get right to, you know, just being sensitive to one another, telling me what's going on with you, and you tell me what's going on with me, and I'll tell you what's going on with me, and, you know, we just had this, this wonderful time together, and guys are like, I don't get it. So years ago, Marcia and I had an anniversary coming up, and I thought I'd do something really special for her. I went and bought a half-day spa package for her, the massage, the facial, uh, whatever you do to your toenails and your fingernails, all right? I, I call it pedigree once I got in big trouble, okay? <laughs> Pedicure, right? All right? And, and manicure, right? Or however that works, okay? So I bought it for her. I said, honey, get your, you know, when you get up tomorrow morning, she didn't know it. I said, put your sweat clothes on, put a pair of slippers on. I'm taking you for a surprise trip. And I took her down to Fremont, California. And we pulled up and I dropped her off. And she went in and they were going to serve her lunch. And I want to tell you what, it was like dropping my kid off at kindergarten. She gave me the strangest look. Like, why are you abandoning me? And I came back, you know, about six hours later to pick her up. We were going to go to dinner. And she got in the car and you know, I don't know about you, I'm fairly intuitive. I just sensed that something wasn't quite right. <laughs> and I remember, saying, I remember saying to her, how was it? And she said, fine. And you know, I don't know about your relationship, but my relationship, the word fine is code word for I'm very disappointed. <laughs> and I'm telling you what, we got on our anniversary, we got into this argument. And the argument was all about me saying to her, why didn't you appreciate what I did for you? I was trying to do something special for you. And you know what her response was? I would have enjoyed it more if you'd taken me on a bike ride and we had a picnic up in the, up in the hills. And I'm like, really? Do you know how much money you could save this Dutch boy? Now, what was my problem? My problem was I gave her what I thought she wanted instead of finding out what she wanted instead of finding out how she would communicate. Now, I've, had, I've told the story before, and I have women come up to me and say, I take spa package, all right? So everybody's different, right? But, you know, she wanted the face-to-face time. She wanted to be with me kind of time, but she wanted it in the way that she wanted to do that. So, you know, intimacy is important, and spending time on creating that intimacy. What, how would you describe the intimacy in your relationship right now? in terms of friendship. All right, E, okay? F-R-I-E. And E stands for enjoyable, all right? Friendships are enjoyable. That's that's why we call it friendships. That's why we have friendships with people. We enjoy being with them. Do you enjoy being with your spouse? I tell you what, after years of marriage, I run into a lot of couples that don't enjoy being with each other. They're in the, you know, they're kind of shoulder to shoulder getting, you know, things through, all right? But there's no sense of enjoyment. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 7 says, So go ahead, eat your food with joy, and drink your wine with a happy heart. He was not a Baptist. For God approves of this. Oh my goodness, all right? Verse 8, wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. Let's explain that for a moment because it sounds pretty pessimistic. Meaningless there means short. In other words, what, what he's saying is, you know, life is short. 
All right? So it, go for the gusto. Enjoy life. Enjoy your wife. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Enjoyment. Do you enjoy being with your spouse? Do you enjoy spending time together? Last summer, Marsha and I, all right, took a, a cruise together. We've never done it before. Dutch boy saved his pennies, got a great deal. We went on a cruise. I couldn't use my cell phone. I thank God for that. And I wouldn't pay for the internet. I thank God for that as well, all right? And I want to tell you what, for seven days, for seven days, I've been married 33 years. I was making up for what I didn't do on my 25th anniversary, okay? All right, for seven days, I fell in love with my wife again. I hadn't fallen out of love with her, but I'm telling you what, it was just her and I. Nobody and nothing else. And I just had a blast. I mean, we didn't, you know, we didn't get in a squabble with each other. We, had, we just, it was like being in high school again. It was just like dating again. And you know what? It reminded us of a commitment we had made in our marriage ceremony, which for the most part we've kept, but we've gotten kind of busy in these past years. And that was we would have a date night every week. We would have a date night where we didn't talk about business, we didn't talk about problems, but we just enjoyed being with each other. And we recommitted to that. I don't know about you, but this life can get so busy when you're raising kids, even more hectic, that pretty soon you are sacrificing the most valuable relationship you have, and that is your spouse. And you know what happens? Here's what happens. You sacrifice your spouse, and you start spending time with other people of the opposite sex doing things with them at work or in other environments where you have more fun and pretty soon you have a misattachment take place. Part of the key to keeping your marriage together is to have fun together. And if you haven't had fun lately, you need to figure out how to do it and do it fast. And do it fast. Your marriage, those of you who have kids, listen carefully to me, your marriage is more important than your children. Because if you lose that marriage, your children are the biggest losers. If you keep that marriage together, your kids are the biggest winners. They'll learn what it means. And I watch families all the time. I watch husbands and wives that sacrifice their marriage to drag their kids all over kingdom come to every event ever imaginable so that they will be successful. And I think God just looks at it and goes, that's a joke. God's not going to take your kid into heaven because they scored four goals in a soccer game. God's not going to take your kid into heaven because they scored straight A's and were involved in every music program and baseball team under the sun. That's not what's going to get them in heaven. But we make our kids think that being busy is what it's all about because that's what the culture says. For goodness sakes, take time for your marriage first. And then figure out where all those games and events take place. Marsh and I were sticklers with that. Our kids sometimes wanted to be in three events, and we just said, no, you get to choose one in the fall, one in the spring. End of discussion. And they, you know, it's, it's worked out pretty good. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if it's quiet at 111, but it sure got quiet at Hobson, all right? It's like, <laughs> guys, are, we better move on, all right? Needed, all right? N is for needed. You know, I don't have time to read it. I encourage you to do so in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 15 through 24, where God creates Adam, and then he creates the creatures, and Adam realized he had a need in his life. Remember that? There's no one to compliment him, and God took out of his side. God took out what? The rib and fashioned a woman and brought it to Adam. And, and it's like God was saying, okay, graft the rib back in. It's a beautiful picture. And then Satan shows up with selfishness, right? 
Satan shows up with selfishness, and, and, and pretty soon now the man and the woman become split apart by selfishness. It's all about my needs and what I need. And, it's, and for her, it's all about her needs and what she needs. And we have this huge expectation that the other person's going to meet our needs. You know what creates a great friendship? When I don't want or expect you to meet my needs, I'm just focused on finding out what your needs are and meeting those. If you're in a life group this weekend, you're going to have a great discussion because I put up there a commentary from a, a, a famous psychologist. We talks, his book's called His Needs, Her Needs. Where, and, and you'll have a chance to look at what are, the, what are the basic needs a man has, what are the basic needs a woman has. And I encourage you as couples to sit down and say, how are those needs being met? And don't get into one of those things where you say, well, I'll meet that need if you meet this need. Be the grown-up. Just decide, you know what, I'm going I'm to choose to meet those needs regardless whether you meet my needs or not. That's what builds a great friendship. D, devoted. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15 says, Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. It's like, why should I even have to bring that up? I have to bring it up because we live in this over-sexualized culture of ours. And what we're being reminded of here is that we need to be devoted to one another. And you know what? Great sex in marriage comes out of great friendship and great emotional attachment. You know, the big word right now, uh, especially amongst the younger generation, is hooking up, right? You hear about it in college campuses, guys and gals hooking up. And there's all kinds of data out there. It's hard to really understand it because a lot of them don't talk about it or want to admit it. But we know it's going on. Multiple, pers- uh, uh, multiple personalities, multiple uh, partners, And um, you know who gets hurt the worst in hookups? The women. Because it is still true, social scientists still tell us it's true, that when a woman goes into a relationship, she's looking for a whole lot more than a one-night stand. What's fascinating to me is that on college campuses, they still talk about the walk of shame. You know what the walk of shame is? It's when a girl spends a night with a guy, and it's obvious she's been out, and she's walking back to her dorm, and she's still wearing the clothes she wore when she went out. Now, why do the kids call it a walk of shame? Because they're still inside the sense of, ooh, that probably isn't right. You've been exposed. There's another kind of hookup that takes place. And I'm really starting to understand this. I I guess I should have known about it more in the past. And that's emotional hookups. You know, you can be married and have an emotional hookup with another person. And emotional hookups are what lead to physical hookups. You follow me? That's why you got to make friendship huge in your marriage. That's why you got to work at the friendship. So you keep that bond strong. So the only person you want to have an emotional relationship with is your spouse. And let's be honest, some of us spend more time with some of the opposite sex outside of our marriage than we do with our own spouse. And that's where the devastation starts. One more word, ready? That is the letter S, sanctifying. I, had to, I, I want you to know I went to seminary, all right? Sanctifying is a, it's a $5 theological word that means set apart. Actually, it's Mark Driscoll's word, all right? So you blame him. It means to be set apart. 
It means to be holy, all right? Set apart unto God. Now, there's an author and, and, and a counselor by the name of Gary Thomas that put an idea out there that I think is absolutely fascinating. I've never heard this before, but boy, is it true. Listen to this. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Think about that. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? There is nothing like a marriage relationship for pointing out how selfish and sinful a person you are. Have you noticed that? Live with someone long enough and your faults and your sinfulness will be exposed. Now, remember when you were dating? It was different. Remember how, you know, when we date, we're actors. You notice that? We put on our best impression to woo that person to us. I remember when I met Marcia, and she's the only girl that I, I, I ever dated. Can you believe that? And, and I honestly, and she'll tell you this, I fell in love the first moment I saw her. We used to go on dates together, and she could hear my heart doing like triple pumps. Just boom, 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 boom. I just was so excited. I never thought I'd be with a woman so beautiful and so, and so you know, godly. And I was a rug rat, and I was not walking with the Lord like I should have been at the time. And I just thought I had died and gone to heaven. Like, how would a girl like this ever want me? I mean, I was just beside myself, madly in love. And I tell you what, before we would go out on our dates, man, I would, I'd take like the biggest, longest shower, right? And I, you know, I'd put on the high karate, right? I don't, do they make that stuff anymore? And I'd add a little brute to it as well. And I'd make sure my teeth were brushed double time. And, I, and, and back then I worked out a lot, had a, had a decent build, and I put, you know, kind of nice tight shirt on, let some of the, you know, my pecs and my, my biceps, you know, just show a little bit. And then I'd stand in front of that mirror and I'd take the comb, all right? I knew you guys were going to laugh at this, all right? And I would just get my hair just so. Now, for those of you who just can't believe I ever had hair, I thought, I, I thought I'd bring to you what I looked like when Marsha and I met me. And, and here it is. This, is. this is the picture. This is me, all right? So, and that's not a rug, all right? That's like real hair back then, okay? I got married when I was 19, so I was a child, okay? All right? So that's enough of that, all right? Uh, so I just want you to know I had hair. I had long hair back then, okay? And then I got married, and it, it's gone. I don't know what happened. It, it's, I'm not sure I understand that, all right? But anyway, and I would just, and I would go out, and I'd open the door for her. I minded my manners, you know, no, no uh, burping, you know, none of that kind of, I won't go any further than that. Just, I mean, I was just perfect. I go out and my wife is, when Marsha shops, she takes a long time to make choices. And I remember one of her first trips to the mall, she spent an hour choosing a pair of sunglasses. And I remember standing there in JCPenney, all right, <laughs> while she's doing it. And, I, and a little voice in my mind goes, what is her issue? How many more does she have to try on? And she'd look at me, how do you like these? I'm like, I like those, those are nice. 
I, I'm serious. I, she's not here this weekend, but she'll, she'll sign an affidavit. It's true, all right? And finally, you know, after an hour, she found the pair she wanted, and I just thought, this is so sweet. And we held hands. We went for a walk. Well, finally, we got married. Sorry, long story, all right? But there's a reason for it. Finally, we got married. And you know what? I, I couldn't keep the act up much longer, all right? And things began to, you know, kind of slip, all right, in, in more ways than one. And, and uh, I didn't always have the neatest hair. It was starting to come out. And, and I didn't always, you know, have the best, you know, probably body odor at times. And, 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 and you know, I didn't always remember to open the door like I should. And, and pretty soon, you know, when she was trying to make up her mind about things, that little voice actually came out. And I began making certain comments. And I know she must have wondered to herself, who did I marry, Jekyll and Hyde? Right? You know, so oftentimes in marriage, what happens to us, right? We, you know, the more we spend time together, I mean, we begin, our true self becomes revealed. But here's the problem. Because of our sinful nature, here's the problem. What we try to do is point out what's wrong with the other person. It's never us right? It's always them. And look what marriage has revealed about you. I walked up to Marcia the day and I said, honey, I want to thank you for for just blessing my life by revealing the sin in me. And I I went to my kids and said, I want to thank you kids because you've revealed the sin in your father. I mean, I, I thank the church, the staff, because, you know, you revealed the sin in my life. We should be thankful for these people, shouldn't we? Because now that it's revealed, we can do something about it, right? But we'd rather point out somebody else's sin and somebody else's problem. And if they would fix theirs, we'd be okay. Because then we could just live and our sin would dominate. And it's just wrong. So instead of getting aggressive toward my partner and, and what I see wrong with their life, I ought to thank God that when things happen and I become aware of my own personal ugliness, that it's an opportunity for me to get on my knees and say, God... I can't believe how selfish I am. I can't believe how impatient I am. I can't believe how rude I am. I can't believe how argumentative I am. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. God, don't change Marcia. Change Dale. Change Dale. Because if you'll change, you know what? It'll have an effect on your spouse. And they'll begin to change. But it starts with you. That's what it means to be friends. How's the friendship in your marriage? Which one of these areas do you need to work on? F-R-I-E-N-D-S. I I want you each to just choose one that you're going to improve. That's your assignment for this weekend. Here at 111, every married couple, I want you to choose just one of those, just one of those that you're going to improve, and I want you to tell your spouse about it, and I want you to commit to your spouse that you're going to improve that area. Can you do that? Wow. I hope 111, there was a better response, because, you know, we're going to go, right now, Saturday night, we're going to go into group counseling and, and, and therapy here at Hobson, but I really hope at 111 I got a better response. Is everyone willing to give it a try? Amen. All right, well, God just heard your yes, so now follow through. Let's pray. Father, thank you for marriage. It is a wonderful relationship, but God, 
we also confess to you it's one of the tougher relationships. And we need all your help and your grace and your strength in the culture we live in to uh, fulfill it and to be faithful. Our marriages should do more than just survive, Father. We learned last weekend they should thrive. So God, give us the grace to thrive. Give us the grace to soar in our marriages so that we can, Lord, show this world what a beautiful thing marriage is. And God, we can't change somebody else's marriage, but we can change our own. And that begins by changing ourselves. Give us the grace, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.